You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. On the last Monday night of 2015, we are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Howdy, howdy. Burns, and we're broadcasting live from the banks of Primrose Creek on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio, and with our producer, Angel Espino. Merry Christmas, um, Angel. Merry yeah. Christmas. But one correction, we're not live on Dark Matter Digital. We're not live on Dark Matter <sighs> Digital Network. We are no. live on PSN Radio yes, with our yes. producer, Angel Espino. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Angel. Say Merry Christmas to the folks. Merry Christmas, folks. So you just and did Happy a re- New Year, everybody. Yeah, you just did a redo, right? That was a redo. I'll let it the, uh, the redo. I'll let, yeah. I'll let it out. Don't worry. I'll, I'll let yeah. it for you. Well, you know, but still, don't edit this out. I mean, hi, Keith. We are still uh, on Dark Matter. We're just not on Dark Matter as lively as we could be, which is right, right now, right here, right now. And tonight, I will be <clears throat> manning the phones along with Angel. And I will give you out the number right now. Okay? Uh-oh, Seven, eight, here it comes. 786-245-8127. And got it, Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, we're going to just have a party tonight because it's our did little party. Did you give the number to Paul Smith? Uh, yes, I did. Good. Yes, I did because we may have – Paul. the illustrious Paul Smith may call in. He's the remote viewer that you guys all know and love, and Al Lindbergh is going to call in. Um, and he, folks should call in. Anybody wants to call in, call in. I bet you Jesse might call in. Soroya might call in. Oh, Soroya, yeah. Serenity might call in. You see that? Serenity these are all, now. Yeah, Serenity now. Uh, these are all people that I talked to before the show. There's my homework. <laughs> And others, and other people might call in too. It's possible. Well, we're going to look at um, we're going to look at uh, 2015 tonight, the right. highs and the lows. Yeah. And um, take phone calls and basically do what's called a <sighs> year-end wrap-up, among That's other right. things. That's right. That's right. So, Angel, what was the high point for you of 2015? It, ha- it happened on uh, December 18th. That's what I thought. And 19th. Thought. Yeah. And <laughs> and really, um, I didn't realize, I, I have never been a um, listener of your roundtable because sometimes your roundtable and Inside Jackal's Head, they're kind of, they're not on every week, are they? They're sometimes not on. Well, we took a little hiatus from the roundtable for about two months, but we were okay. pretty consistent on that show. The Jackals that I did about 200-something episodes, and I kind of like stopped doing it back in okay. August because I got really, really busy. Uh, I might start it up again next year okay. because I've, I was really consistent on that. In fact, that's the first show that I really was doing on podcast. So I, I will revisit that show, and, and I have a couple ideas of how to make it into a video show well, also. And so. Yeah. Now, are you? Um, that's kind of what I wanted to uh, talk. I want to talk. I never get a chance to sit and talk to Bill, or to you, certainly never to you and Bill together um, right, right. about the future of radio, because <clears throat> with everything changing this year so dramatically, 
mean, mm-hmm. seriously, dramatically. When you think about it, I learned how to... Especially the last few weeks with uh, the big yeah, 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 I know. And meanwhile, in the early part of the year, in the middle, the middle, the spring, the summer, I was dedicated to uh, running my own show, which was kind of a, a wild and crazy thing to, to learn how to do that really fast and then to do it. And to my credit, I might say, this is Bella Haven, to my credit, I was able to kind of just turn a couple buttons and get the show on the air, and it was all very much fun. And then we find ourselves now at the end of the year with no Art Bell, and no Bella Haven, and mm-hmm. the future for future theater is very wide open, therefore, I might say. What do you think? And the same thing. And so I want to know, like, are you looking at PSN with new eyes because you're putting new people on almost as we speak? Not necessarily. It's just uh, when with art and, you know, the network, uh, Dark Matter, going the way they're going, it just cleared up one thing for me. I'm not faulting PSN now and merging with them. So mm-hmm. PSN is going to stay open, which that was an idea I was kicking around. And uh, having everybody from PSN join Dark Matter and, you know, fit the schedules together and, I know Keith run the network, but uh, since, you know, Dark Matter is kind of uh, leaving us in a few weeks, um, you know, there's no need Mm, for that. But wait, but wait, I think just the opposite. Now that, see, I mean, future uncloudy, future uncertain, I don't know any uh, inside information, but I've got the impression that um, it's going to pull through. It's going to do its 30 days and then pull through and, and be a whole network again. Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if they could uh, continue the live shows. I mean, that's the thing that's uh, weird. Yeah. You know, if if they're going to continue on, why they stop doing the live shows? Yeah, you're right there. That's the, don't okay. Um, it, for the fu- let's talk about the future. I really mm-hmm. want to talk about the future. Uh, 2016, how we can all make money in the future. How people can join us on the, on a team and make money. Okay, so I'm talking about you know some kind of five bucks a month thing where we just come up with something and i'm combining our uh, publishing company into that so you know there'll be publishing product for people who sign up so there'll be something like that but for the future um how do you see psn shaping up in other words does psn have a uh a log line like does it even have a name does psn has it settled on uh public what public soup no, we settled oh. on the name like three years ago. Okay, so tell us it again. <laughs> tell us it again. I like the soup. Stuff <sighs> no, there's okay. there's no soup. Get the soup out. It's a public, public. Stream, streaming network radio. Yeah, but see, when I tell people to call in on your Skype, uh huh, then I always tell them to use. I believe it's called. What, let me just find it here. The Soup Media Network. That's because that's the original name I started the Skype account on, and for some reason I can't delete it unless I created an entire new Skype account then create the new number and I'm going to have to change all the numbers which I decided not to do that because it's kind of foolish it doesn't really matter just you actually look at you can find us uh, on Skype just by looking at PSN radio so that's what yeah, I did one works yeah, yeah but I'm works. trying I'm trying whenever I give someone the official word I'm trying to be extremely accurate make sure they find us so I'm always typing soup 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 that's what I'm that's where the soup no is on my that. mind <laughs> And also, we are just, we're finishing up the last of the uh, chicken soup. Um, mm. I've been away now from. Now we're talking. The, <laughs> I've been away from the computer, away from the radio. I've been only doing crafts and cooking. And, and so, you know, I've, I've been giving a lot of thought to what I want to do in the future on radio. And, and uh, I've convinced Bill 
that he should be on. I mean, in other words, we would like to be on more often. I think that's what it's coming down to. How do you feel about that, Angel? Well, I already do three shows a week, so I don't know how much more often I could spare, but... Okay, well, that's exactly <laughs> what, you know, three shows is better than one. That's kind of what I'm thinking, you know? So, yeah, but that would, that would make six shows for me a weekend. Uh, that's, uh, that's a lot of shows. Yeah, well, okay, so we'll, you know, but here's what I was thinking. Actually, it would make seven. No, that's but see... Lo- that's a lot of shows. But I'm thinking that I would be the one that's on every Actually, it'll show. Actually, will be eight. But, anyway, but I wouldn't want you guys on every show. I would want... Well, no, because one goes to the show that's existing. So it's only four more days. Plus so three. Seven. Yeah, but I wanted... But anyway, so I wanted... You know, there will be something changing or adding to the world. I, I want to add to the world of radio. That, that will happen in the year 2016 coming up. I just wanted to throw that out and kind of get that idea out there and... Actually, uh, more than even radio, I want to concentrate more on putting video content out on the Internet. Uh, that's the yeah. real future of, of the medium, to be honest with you. Radio is going to be great. Podcasting is great. But the video content is really what everybody wants now. Yeah. Why don't you build your own Roku channel? Um, yeah. I was thinking about it. Well, I think PSN is on Roku. You can find it on Roku, I believe. Well, there's a difference between... I can I can sort of show you the difference. The, making your own channel is a little bit different. Uh, you work with, um, I believe, the Roku. I, I forget. Was it Roku? Well, the, yeah. the idea yeah. was to go through um, YouTube and do a, a YouTube channel we have on there and put more video content on there. Right. But so you, you can do, monetize that. So. Right. And then with Roku, uh, again, you can also uh, charge. You can make your channel be 99 cents or something. But with Roku, it's um, it's if you are okay, you, if you have that device – You'll know what I'm talking about. And in, you know, in the future, we're kind of, you know, doing Chinese menus here for our TV. You know, you pick three from column two and one, and, and you basically, con- you know, you don't have, you don't turn your TV on channel three and sit there the whole night long on one channel. It's a different kind of TV experience. But anyway, so yeah, that, why do you say video per se? Why, why instead of, since you've been in radio, do you, don't you feel like a turncoat? No, no, no. I mean, I'm still going to do radio, but I think video is definitely a medium that everybody's going to be graduating towards. Even radio guys do a video show. AM radio guys are doing video formats on the Yeah, Howard, Ster- so, Howard Stern yeah. Did, a, uh, did a video of his own radio show. Still does. Show. He's st- yeah, he still, still does. does. Uh, Dan Lebertard from the Dan Lebertard and Stu Gatz show here in Florida, they have their own uh, TV show. I mean, that's that's the next pr- you know progression in this medium. Yeah, you still do the... The video, the audio format, but you want to enhance it with video. So that's something that right. I think we, I'd like to, you know, go into a little bit further in the future. Well, I don't know how it would work with Skywatchers or Feature Theater since we're all in different locations and stuff. I don't know how that would work exactly the dynamics on it, but. Well, there's a uh, there's a thing called there are a few things you can do online where you can all get together and people are trying out situations where you're kind of on a video. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, well, yeah. Uvu, we could do that on Uvu. That's I've that done that before thing. with, yeah. with uh, Skywatchers. We did that a while back. The technology for the way we were doing it then wasn't that great, right? Uh, per se, but um, I think uh, now it's kind of a little bit better because I'm talking about six years ago when, when we tried it out five years ago, whatever it was. So it wasn't exactly what it is now. Now it's a lot better technology-wise. So, And I have a much better computer that can run video software and stuff. So Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I see that. But at the same time, I mean, I totally see that. But I, ha- I, I have never, oh, boy, how long ago did you put your, How? when's the first time you put something up on, uh, YouTube, would you say? Was it before Google bought YouTube? 
Oh yeah, long before. No, oh, okay. So you've been with yeah, them. I was yeah. I've been putting stuff on YouTube for probably since the first year YouTube went into existence. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it was it was dumb random stuff that I was putting on there, nothing major, but yeah, it's yeah. grown as the years passed, you know. Well, Danny, Danny here is on Skype. Danny should call in um, if he would like to. He's been sick in the hospital and is on yeah, the he mend. Has. He's yeah. on the mend, and you know. I guess, uh, you know, I think he was saying like on Christmas Eve and Christmas night, he wasn't getting the good meds and he was still awake. So he was sort of Skyping. Um, he, they must give him, I guess, something to knock him out and they didn't do it or something. But uh, he's on the mend. But uh, he's saying that you do have a Roku channel, I believe. Yes, indeed. Yes, We're everywhere. PSN is even on TuneIn, Roku. I mean, it's pretty much everywhere at this point. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just finding it and, and promoting it, which I really haven't promoted Roku all that much because I don't have Roku personally, so it's not something that I kind of like, you know, yeah. really put as an important thing right now. But I know it is another format for people to listen to the show, so it is there if people want to, you know, check it out. Yeah, well, Roku uh, has hung on, and I think, you know, there's something. It some- has, yeah. Something, yeah, because uh, it, it's a simple, co- but it's what Google TV I think tried to do, and now lots of other places. I, I don't know. We're we're trying to um, separate what's the most expensive part of our whole cable system, um, because we also have, in addition to expensive cable, t- all the channels coming in on some kind of cable service called mm. Xfinity or something, whatever right. it's called. Uh, yeah, Xfinity. Yeah. Uh, we also have t- the whole TiVo setup. And if if I could, if I told you how much I, I spend so little time on that on that whole expensive, I'd say several hundred dollars a month situation, I'm always on Roku, either Netflix, Plex, uh, and Amazon. Love that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amazon. Yep. Exactly. And in addition to those three, there's just a ton more. Um, See, that's the thing, more. though. You, you can really get lost in how many different formats and platforms there are out there. If you really try to put your, your radio station or whatever you're doing everywhere, it can get kind of taxing because there's a lot of different platforms now yeah. out there. It's not like 10 years ago when YouTube was the only major platform for video or audio to really put anything on there. You know, there's been so many like websites popping up for the last five years. So yeah. it's tough to keep up with everything that's out there. I mean, I have stuff on Vimeo on YouTube, on, um, let's see, what's the other one? Um, well, there's, um, there is another one. There's another, yeah. there's, a, there's another major, I'm drawing a blank right now. Uh, it's a streaming uh, channel also, very similar to it. But, I mean, we have like four or five different uh, websites that are, you know, hosting stuff for, for PSN as video formats of the shows and stuff that I put on there. But those are all canned, pre-cut, you know, little snippets, uh, interviews and stuff only. I, like, like I said, when I, when, I designed the video format show that I really want to put together. It's going to be live on video, and it's going to be interviews and all kinds of stuff. It's just fixing it together and putting it the right way, which I'm still working on. Well, are you thinking about um, something like on the order of Joe Rogan's show? Vaguely, mm, that, something similar. Mm-hmm. You could, you could use that. That's a pretty good example. Yeah. Well, I listen to because of of. Um, this is not the first year. 2015 was not the first year that I discovered. Uh, dropping carbohydrates from my life, mm. but in it, what comes with that whole change in eating uh, are a lot of health shows, um, health shows that car- that uh, intersect with um, uh, fitness and lifestyle. There's a fellow who wrote the four minute, the four day, de- uh, the f- uh, Bill maybe can remember this, the four minute manager, the four four minute diet. Something like that. It's it's the four you know, minute abs. 
four minute abs. Something yeah. like that. Four the the forty the four hour work week, I think it's called, or something. Oh, oh right, that guy. Sure, the four hour work week. Yeah, and See, I was going to I was going to make my own <coughs> video called the the three minute abs just to take that other one down. Right, right, right. Well, the <laughs> the this fella, the four hour work week, is an interesting fella, and uh, Tim Ferriss, his name is Timothy Ferris, and he basically teaches you just like Dave Asprey does with uh, Bulletproof uh, Executive. These are both not really diet people. These are how to be a superman within the confines of your own body. If, if, um, if some rich silicon dude has found some way to make you sitting at your desk uh, exercise your whole body with a certain kind of chair and it costs $10,000, this guy, these guys will buy it. They'll do it. And Joe Rogan, for example, he has like bromances with these different guys. He had a bromance for a long time with Dave Asprey, and they shared all their high protein or whatever their you know their secret formulas and all their brain juice and all that stuff. And then they have a falling out. Now they hate each other. And um, perhaps the same thing with Tim. Yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, mm. yeah. Because Joe Rogan's crazy. No. Well, yeah. I just think he saw a chance. I mean, he thought that in the case of Bill and Joe Rogan, I think he saw a chance that Bill and Steve Greer, uh, Greer? no, the other was Bassett. Bassett, Bassett, yeah. Yeah, they were the same exact character in Joe Rogan's mind and in lots of people's minds if they don't know ufology. Um, Same credentials, the same everything, same. We don't have the same credentials. No, but in Joe Rogan's mind, you're both in that category. You're both in that UFO box. Let's just see which one, who are we going to screw with? And they chose to screw with Bill, not with Bassett. Reasons never understood. You know, I mean, Bassett is a wannabe lobbyist. Uh, who's never well? He really... is a lobbyist. I mean, you don't have yep. to be a wannabe. I mean, he is a lobbyist. Well, you no, and no, he you actually to... ran, and he actually ran for Congress. I mean, he's got. It's it's interesting what happened. He was running for Congress <clears throat> from I guess the Gettysburg, from the Beltway area. He was running G- for Congress, Gettysburg, at the yeah. same time that the Beltway snipers were doing random shootings around the area. So oh, really? I think that I think that I think that really makes for an interesting story. So here's a guy who's actually a lobbyist trying to get Congress to hold hearings on the existence of UFOs, which they've done, by the way, twice before. Once because of Jerry Ford in 1966. Well, once because of Jerry Ford if the 1966 Hilldale uh, UFO incident, and then again. Um, because uh, this, the uh, the science committee in the in the house, because of James McDonald, Professor James McDonald from the University of Arizona. So, I mean, they've already had two sets of hearings on this. Steve wanted to have another set of hearings to present all of the disclosure evidence, and that that's what he was running on for Congress. And it's interesting to see that's going on while these Beltway shootings are going on, and nobody can stop the Beltway shootings. Even mm. though the car that this guy, um, Mohammed and Amalvo, the two shooters, that car was appearing on all the surveillance videos, but nobody was looking for it, which is my theory, that serial killers hide in plain sight, just like UFOs, and just nobody wants to admit they're there. Well, okay. 
Okay. Anyway, and all that's going on. That was really fascinating. Mm, okay. I hear you. Uh, and yeah. it makes sense. Serial killers do hide in plain sight. Well, sure I mean, for do. what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for yeah. what yeah. it's worth. So I think that you know, Steve had his had his own fascinating career, and what was so interesting was he was covered a couple of weeks ago in the Washington Post mm-hmm. as yeah, you know, the lobbyist with the mostest when it comes to UFOs. It, they did a very nice story on Bassett in the Washington Post. Yeah, but how? Do, but cool. here's okay. Here's a question about lobbying. How do? How does the lobbyist convince a senator or a representative that that person should listen to Steve for five minutes about UFOs? I mean, how do, how do you get access, and what's your calling card? Well, basically, I think Steve's, Steve's point is this, that um, the UFO events in the history of planet Earth are probably the most important things that are taking place right now and the most important things in history because what they mean is that human beings aren't the only sentient creatures or the only sapient creatures alive in the universe. And the fact that the governments have turned their backs on their own populations, even though governments know of, of, of the real secrets and the real issues about UFOs and who's navigating them and that we're not alone, they're keeping that from people. And so the, yeah, the, pop, what, the respective but, but, but populations. This, and so what Steve is arguing to is whom? that... To whom? Who does Steve he argue is to? arguing to members of Congress but, and but to specifically, But specifically, that's what he says he's doing. But can you imagine how how, you know... He's never said, I've talked to, to so-and-so, to Bernie Sanders, and Bernie answered back. And oh, said he says it all the time. He says it all the time, that he's written to so-and-so. No, no, no. He's very no, enth- no I- for example, he's very enthusiastic about the fact that in the Hillary Clinton campaign, it's, be- it's, 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 it's being run by John Podesta. So he's very, very excited about that because John Podesta was part of the lawsuit um, that Leslie Kane filed to release the Kecksburg files. And, and so and, the, okay, yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and so the, uh, uh, the fact that John Podesta was part of that lawsuit, even though Podesta said it wasn't really the UFOs that he was after, but forget the small details. The fact that John Podesta was part of that lawsuit means that at the heart, at the, basically at the head of the Hillary Clinton campaign for president, that there is a person who actually was an advocate for disclosure about UFOs. And so, I mean, he's right about that. So, yes, he's, I think he's deeply involved in the whole nature of politics. And uh, I think that um, given what Podesta, where Podesta may end up, should Hillary Clinton win the presidency, may say a lot. I mean, uh, the other person who's been involved in this is Paul Davids, Paul David said that he basically put UFO books in Bill Clinton's hands or in Hillary Clinton's hands because there really is an interest on the part of the Clintons, both in Bill's um, in, in in Bill Clinton's first term when he asked Webb Hubble to figure this whole to get the yeah. information, yeah. and and now, right, <clears throat> and and it, it 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 must be said that if Hillary Clinton becomes elected, that we're basically electing Eleanor Roosevelt, um, it seems to me. And you should uh, retell that story for people to hear, just because it's 
going to be nothing but the politics in the um, 2016. Well, I mean, Hillary even joked about this. Um, she actually made a, um, a, a joke about, yeah, I know Eleanor Roosevelt. The, um, as, as the story goes, we all remember that during Bill Clinton's first term, and I think this is the case, I think we saw this in the John Kerry run for president. We're seeing this now. Uh, we saw this when um, Roger Ailes turned on John McCain in the 2000 election. So what we're seeing is what Hillary Clinton said all the way back in, gosh, 1994, I think. She said that there is a vast right-wing conspiracy, and that's absolutely true. There yep. is. I mean, yep. and we know, and we actually know But there's people, also a vast left-wing conspiracy, guaranteed. Much less vast. But no, the, no, no, the, I think vaster. No, well, the reason I think it's much less vast is that it doesn't have the money and the clout of, the, of the Koch brothers. Because you know why I disagree? The more I do research into the occult, and I, I've been curious about the occult this year quite a lot, the more I find that the occult covers stuff up. The, um, the, um, that's the whole point of the occult. And the Koch brothers, everybody's talking about the Koch brothers. They're just, oh, they, they fund everything right-wing. But they actually fund a ton of left-wing, and they are left-wing in terms of their social circles. Or I would say no-wing, the, 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 the top 1%, the, the, the top of the 1% pretty much are in no political party. They just run both. Right. Well, the, the, uh, the political party is the political party of them. That's the mm -hmm. party they're yeah. in. Yeah. So it's not as though they, uh, they really have a party designation as much as what they have is um, a self-serving designation. A self-interest designation. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's good uh, to be really king. That's really what it is. I yeah. mean, and in, and in some cases, they act very patrician. That is, it is their burden to care for the United States. And in some cases, it's basically shameless self-interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the um, but the uh, Hillary slash Eleanor Roosevelt. I mean, I wonder how many tasks Eleanor Roosevelt felt she left undone, because guaranteed. Well, there's a lot she felt undone, but uh, we're at the bottom of the hour. So what we should do ah. is take our break now. It's the bottom of the hour. Take our break, identify our stations, and come back and pick up with the Eleanor Roosevelt Hillary Clinton story. From Haunting of the President by Joe Martin and myself. That story. Oh, and we have to talk it. about we have to talk about the praise you got this week. You got some amazing praise. I got some great praise. Yeah. And just talk, nice. I even got some great praise today, but backhanded and grudging, but nevertheless praise. Anyway, we are Bill and Nancy Burns on Future Theater on PSN Radio. And in reruns mm -hmm. on the Dark Matter Digital Network. Thank you, Keith. And we will be back with Open Lines after this. Stay with us for our New Year's Eve special.
Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom-built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. Supermanhomepage.com. The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know. George Rodriguez. Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes, that George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban fellow. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Hi, everybody. We're back on Future Theater on PSN Radio on the Dark Matter Digital Network on our special end-of-the-year show in advance (laughs) of New Year's Eve. And Danny's with us on the line. Hi, Danny. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Bill. Happy New Year, everybody that's on. uh, Nancy, Angel. Hi, Danny. Hi, Nancy. Are you at home now or are you calling from the hospital? I am home now. Finally home. Yeah. Six days. Yeah. I yeah. I'm I am doing well. I'm feeling much better and I really appreciate you mentioning that on the air. But, oh, yeah. good. Now Dan now Danny, are we gonna stop partying with Charlie Sheen? Yeah. <laughs> I mean Look on. what's getting yeah. you, Danny. You gotta stop partying with Charlie Sheen, man. You gotta stop but, doing it. What? You just put me out there, man. Put my business <laughs> out. Put, put me Danny's out. got tiger blood, that's Fun what it is. Street. Tiger blood. I gotta quit partying with him and Joe Rogan. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Bad for your health, son. Bad for your health. Good to hear you doing better. So, Danny, you saw Doctor Feelgood, I hear. 
Yes, I did see Dr. Feelgood. And I, I actually, I, I saw it live. I DVR'd it. And when my family came over, um, for, for, to, uh, for, to celebrate, I was in the hospital, but I told them to watch it and they were absolutely blown away. They could not believe the stuff they saw, it, the, the, the things that were present that you got, that you, Bill, and your co-author, whose name is escaping me now. Rick Lertzman. Yeah. It was just really, it was just really well done. And what, really impre- what really impressed me was that the, at least two of the people they picked up, actually all the people they picked up, there was Boyce Rensenberger from the New York Times, and Boyce was one of the two reporters, it was, Boy- it was a three, there was a, a Larry Altman, who's a doctor, and there was Boyce, and um, they were the ones that originally broke the story in the New York Times on who Max Jacobson was and what he had done to Kennedy and what he was doing. And they were the ones that actually, uh, Larry Altman actually took one of the bottles and had it tested, and that's when the New York Times published the report uh, of methamphetamine. And it was Boyce who was in Jacobson's office when Jacobson said, look at this, and he turns out the lights and shakes the, uh, uh, the vial of fluid and the little radium rocks, he said they were uranium, they were really radium, little radium rocks at the bottom of the, of the tube began to glow because wow. Jacobson thought that radium gave you energy because it was full of atomic <laughs> energy. Right. Uranium. Right, yeah, when I heard that. Missed I was... it by that much. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Missed it by that much. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, also um, on the show, I was shocked to see the daughter. Um, her name is Jill. And you guys, all through the writing of the book, and the book's been being written for a really long time. It wasn't just a year or so ago. It's been many, many years. And you've had your conversations on the phone with Jill. And I, I don't ever know how things turned out, but I was, I was shocked to see her on there. And what can you, Bill, tell us, if anything, about her side of the story. Well, Jill's anything. side of the story. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, Jill was. She confirms the story. I mean, this is not this is not a case where she's denying. What Jill says is that, of course, her father was Doctor Feelgood. Would you rather have somebody call you Doctor Feel Bad? And and she's right. She said that her father believed, and the way he led his life and his practice that it was his job to make people feel better. That, that was basically what she's saying, and that he was wrongly castigated for actually doing the one thing doctors should do, and that's make people feel better. And yes, he treated Jack Kennedy, and yes, he treated Jackie, and yes, she met them, well, she met Jackie. All that's true, and that, but she felt her father was wronged by the media for doing what, people like Jack Kennedy and Harry Truman and, and, and people in politics and Cecil B. DeMille asked him to do, that is make me feel better. So that's her position. So she doesn't see it as a scandal as much as she sees it as her father was wrongly characterized by the media. Well, how, what was her position on your book? She, she gave us information. Um, she, she, but we already knew stuff. I mean, there was nothing that Jill told us that we didn't know, except for the fact that 
Jill provided the counterpart of the story so that every time we were, we never really went after Max Jacobson. I mean, I had my own theory about him, but we never really went after him. And we were very conscious of treating Jill very gently because she was the daughter of the guy we're writing about. But well, no, she didn't give us any inside information that we didn't remember. We had Max Jacobson's own notes, and and that was the main source. And the notes were the from interview. a the notes were from a diary or from a manuscript or what? It was Max's manuscript. We have it upstairs in the in the um. I hope we have it upstairs in the oh. in the uh, attic. It was Max's okay. own manuscript that Rick that we copied at, um, from the library at SUNY Stony Brook. Well, why didn't you also reproduce that verbatim? Can you, are you allowed to? No, because that was, that was a copyright issue. It's the same reason in the Mickey Rooney book. We had all the letters Mickey Rooney wrote to uh, his second wife, uh, a, a BJ, Barbara Jane Reyes, Barbara Jane Baker, um, from Europe during the war. We had all those letters. But the problem is that even though the physical letters had gone into the, the possession of Betty Jane's friend, Pam McClanathan, even though they were physically in her possession, the underlying intellectual property rights belonged to Mickey Rooney, who, because he died, belonged to the Mickey Rooney estate. So we, unless you go to the estate, and say, I want to publish this, but you could quote from it, and you could refer to it, and you could paraphrase it, but what you can't do is literally reproduce something that you don't own, under the 1976 um, Copyright Act, reproduce something you don't own. Mm-hmm. And okay. so that was the problem with the Max Jacobson manuscript. Yes, he had left it to the library, but he was the underlying owner of the intellectual property rights, and those rights belonged to his third wife, Ruth. Well, can I ask Guys, you, uh, before you continue, we have a caller who just joined the, uh, the call. 423 is on the air with us on uh, Feature Theater. Hello, this is Charles. I didn't get a chance to call you, Nancy. Uh, Hi, Charles. I write you about you know, what we talked about last week. Hello. <clears throat> um, Hi. Hi, Charles. Hello. How you doing, Bill? How you doing, Good. Angel? Um, great New Year to all of you all. 15 was one we don't want to ride. That's a horse we don't want to ride again. That's this right. One I think will be much nicer, much much more friendly. Well, it's Charles, what can new. what can we all individually do as we're, you know, we're all together right now and and so the people who are together alive on the phone right now and also listening, we're all of a certain vibration. And I I I sense you know the answer to these kind of questions. So as we all look at 2016 and kind of put it into our own realities what can we do to make sure it's lovely and prosperous we'd like to be prosperous we have to broadcast and this this kind of goes to what you were talking about anyway increase our broadcasting we have to be a transmitter and broadcast that out into the world and and i think uh the podcast the radio everything has just that's been going on has been trying on YouTube and all this development. We're all supposed to be the star of the show, and we're all supposed to broadcast. And we do our life like it was a podcast or this. We throw the knowledge out, and we create it, and we project it out of ourselves. Do you want to want people to project their life onto you, or do you want to project your life out there in the world? You want to project your life, not them project on you. 
Yeah, but it goes. Oh, both Charles, what's goes... that buzzing you're projecting over everybody right now? Yeah, I think it's sort of a. Um, <clears throat> but it, but it goes both ways, Charles. I think you're probably near to your. Um, uh, there's a base station or something, or you're far from your base station. No, oh, no, I'm on a regular phone. It, could it sound ocean-like? Could it be? No, it's more no, like. No, I don't know. Let me see if this might. It's like, like it sounds hummer. like a refrigerator. Like a there, that took it away. I think. That did. All right. There was just a, nope. a little bit of. It did. There, it's back uh, again. Yeah. Nope. Hang on one second. I think I can get it. Great radio. Is it better well, than amazing radio? Well, you know what, yeah. Angel, I wouldn't <laughs> worry about that anymore because I think as you as we all look at the future, I think this radio is compelling. I, as a listener, would rather hear a buzz. And no, I'm talking to a real no, person. I wouldn't want to hear a buzz. But anyway, I mean, no, no, we no, also no. got we got Pony Boy also on the line. Pony Boy Sunset. Oh, Pony Boy. Oh, good. Pony Boy. Soroya. Soroya, uh beat up on Bill. Why not? <laughs> why? Why me? First of all, it's Christmas in New York, oh. and nobody does anything. And uh, but I will next week. I will beat the editor who has your novel and see if the vampire person at Simon & Schuster has had a chance to read it. That's what I'll do. All right. Can you guys hear me? Because I'm on the iPad. We're going to try this. So you, so, uh, you miss, so you missed all that before just now? Oh, I, yeah, I did. I was getting uh, It's a good thing. There's so many bad things said about you right now. <laughs> Thank you, by the way, Bill. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. I know these things take time. And, uh, you know, if you, if you have to beat people up, does that, is that extra? No, yes. no, I'm not going to. Yes, right. I get an extra 5%. Actually, I have to be nice to her because she was our editor for Mickey Rooney, and I've got a novel that I'm sending her sometime well, in the that's new year. What I wanted so. to, that, that's what I wanted to point out. Uh, Soroya has been such a an inspiration because, number one, when it came time to get the novel ready to go out, I said, or Bill said, you got to do this, 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 and this, and Soroya did this, 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 and this, boopity-boop. And it's a great amount of dedication that comes with writing, and Zoroya has it. And so, and Bill is now going back to an ancient manuscript he wrote when he was but a mere youth. And it's a three-parter. It's a medieval romance, basically, Arthurian, you know, Merlin the Magician, all that stuff. Um, that was his PhD. So he's going back, and he was, he's written a novel. But thanks to you, Zoroya. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad I could inspire you guys. I just got back. I was looking at my stuff today. I haven't had time because of Christmas and my birthday and getting tattooed and a million other things. <laughs> I have it written in almost almost a month, three really? weeks. Yeah, oh. and uh, I was writing some today, and it's, you know, how you, not to take the show in this direction, but you know how you step away from something. Where I left off, I'm like, oh, God, did I write too much of this? Is This isn't working. And then I went back today and read, and I was fine. So sometimes you have to just totally step away. Yeah. You know? well, uh, well, what do you? What happens when you're writing fiction like that, and, and you've got a lot of characters in this novel, do you do something in the beginning of a manuscript with a character and then realize at a certain point you've done something like unalterably wrong to that character and have to go back and fix the whole uh, character storyline? Knock on wood, that hasn't happened yet. I tend to keep track of my people, and I normally know where I'm going. Now, I don't always know how I'm getting there, but I don't know if... I don't think I've time to talk to you in a while, Bill. I actually know how I'm ending my whole series. This is going to sound really, really out there, really... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of crazy, but I had a vision about it. 
I well, that's, that's what you have to have. No, I mean, you, no, you're, it doesn't sound crazy. I mean, it's, it sounds perfectly legitimate. That's, if you are writing a piece of fiction, then you are immersed in that piece of fiction as if it's a vision. And, it's, and, and once you're in it, you don't want to get out of it because when you do, sometimes it's tough to get back in it again. Yeah, I was literally driving down the road. I was on my lunch hour, and um, I tend – this is ridiculous, but it's okay. I tend to um, grocery shop at lunch, and there's a Trader Joe's by where I work. So I'm on the way to Trader Joe's, and I'm jamming out to my car, and all of a sudden I literally had a vision. Like it unrolled in front of me, and I'm like, this is great. I'm like, I need to find something to write on so I don't lose it. And it's why, sort don't of a- you, why don't you pick up your phone and hit the tape recorder thing and try to talk it? Oh man, I've never even thought about doing that. I just am so focused on writing. Yeah, I, I wonder if that would work. Yeah, I always. Type I also think uh, you know, <clears throat> Bill used to tell me back in the day. I don't know whether it's a curse or not to hear this, but it, but he used to say, "If it's really good, you'll remember it." <laughs> oh no, that's absolutely true. And I, I've been dreaming about my novel. Like I sort of had a nightmare about it last night. So not not about the book, like about the characters in the book. I'm like, wow seriously need to start writing again so it's really weird nancy that this all kind of came together the way it did tonight so apparently i'm supposed to talk to you guys so absolutely well see now charles is on the line and charles i think has magical properties i just sense that he does and uh he just said uh, before you came on he was talking about i'm asking him what should we all do to make a really great future happen for all of us we're in a certain vibration here people who listen to future theater for example are a certain kind of person and he was saying, Charles was saying that everybody should be their own broadcaster, that your kind of mission right now is to broadcast, to get it out there. But Charles and, and, and Soraya and everybody else, if everybody is their own broadcaster, who's there left to listen? Except that I listen to lots of other broadcasts. Oh, that's the whole point. Everybody listens to everybody else. It's like yeah. a nuclear reaction. But primarily, you have to be the primary broadcast you project yourself into the world. You broadcast yourself into the world. And then that doesn't mean you don't interact or listen or uh, amalgamate uh, other broadcasts and other... But Charles, 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 how do you deal with the people who hate you and want you to stop and are mean to you online? You ignore them. They don't exist anymore. When you're broadcasting, they don't exist. That's true. That's true. See, they that's actually the big. That's the biggest mistake Art Bell has made. He's paid attention too much to the media, the social media, the people. He he needed to just like focus on the shows. When you're doing a and show, just that. forget about yeah. everything else. Yeah. Why do you think he's fallen into such an amateur mistake? Guilt. Well, because he's he's an amateur on online. He's well, a, he's an AM radio guy, but he's not an, an online radio host or a podcast. So this is new to him. The technology's True. changed so much, though, too, True. since, you know, he, and he hasn't been a right, he hasn't done a regular show right. in so long. True. You know, mm-hmm. yep. this Belgab forum and all these forums, you know, the, the Twitter forum and all that stuff that he had access to, and just his own Facebook forum, he, he had access yeah, to way sure. too many people well, hating on him. Yeah. Well, the thing is this the radio landscape changed out from under him. When he left Coast, when he left um, uh, Premier Radio, and even the uh, uh, the serious radio stint really didn't amount to that much, but the entire landscape, just since the nineteen ninety, just since the uh, when uh, the nineteen ninety, say nineteen ninety five, nineteen ninety seven, the entire landscape 
has changed in, it's been 20 years. So we're in a different world right now. So it is no longer, so if there is a community of radio listeners, let's just say on coast, and that radio, and, and I'll use the title of the book that George and I were going to work on, and that was Talk Town USA. So if there is a Talk Town USA, but it's a Talk Town USA made up of basically AM and FM talk radio. There's an entire infrastructure built around that host. There are producers. There are call screeners. There are assistant producers. There are interns. There is an actual staff that handles things so that even in a call-in show, like Open Lines on Coast is, even in a call-in show, there is screening going on. You are you will get filtered feedback from your public. And since AM radio is ad-driven, well, a FM radio is ad-driven too, but since AM radio is ad-driven and it's affiliate-driven, then um, your success isn't really measured by a popularity of listener A or listener B. Your, your popularity is measured by what stations carry you, what the number of yeah, listeners but, but are on various stations and, and how much money you're bringing in. That's right. your popularity. That landscape has all changed now it's with gone, podcasting. Now, and, and might I say that where Angel is going is where I, I, I have a sense we all are going to have to look. I won't be doing it this year. Angel will. But that's where the money is. Um, get it, you know, making your own um, Joe Rogan brand, for want of a better term. But... I I might suggest that Art Bell is in a growing pains stage. I don't think he's finished. I think this is a huge growing pains that you could that he could never have intuited until he was out there with all the pistons starting to pump to see where the motor was really weak. If that makes any sense, you know. Well, okay. Somewhat. Wait. Well, yeah, a little. Well, <laughs> Bill. Well, what you you were saying is basically that there should be a bubble around the host and and in Art Bell's case there wasn't you know with all the staff in around that to protect him basically and screen him from all of that I'm saying that there was I'm no uh, what I'm saying Danny is that there was such a bubble 20 years ago right and that bubble and that bubble no longer exists and when an AM person an AM personality Mm -hmm. tries to insert himself or herself into a, a, a podcasting landscape, into a podcasting universe. There's an entire shift that that person has to go through. And I think that, and I think that Nancy's probably right, that you're talking about growing pains and that it's basically an, an adjustment period, that it's not just turning on a mic and going on Skype. There, there is a whole different kind of mentality which is being all alone out there without the infrastructure of AM talk radio. Well, the reason I asked you uh, about this is because we all, you and I, came from a publishing world that pretty much doesn't exist anymore in spite of what, you know, Soroya cover your ears. It's still, there still are big publishers and you can still get a big publishing contract. And you yeah, will. look at Amy Schumer, $10 million. Uh, it eats at you, it eats at you. But it eats the, at me. But, My but, God, you saw the, that movie. 
The only th- a Colin Quinn should have gotten the ten million dollars. <laughs> well, okay, it's a different <laughs> kind of comedy. But 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 see now that okay, we've also been on the inside, the deep deep inside. When I first published my novel, there was never any question that I would ever really get that very close to readers. Everything was set up by the publisher, and everything was cleared through the publisher, so forth. And so you really kind of. But now you're on your own, and you're facing your audience one on one. And you have to figure out, did you sign up for that when you first came on board? Because some people are only are, are only set up to be Mariah Carey, you know, in which you have a thousand handlers. I mean, literally, you, Mariah Carey needs handlers just to walk across the stage. You know, she really has like 40 bathrooms in her house. She's a very troubled woman. 40 bathrooms? Yeah, she has about 40 bathrooms. And she really is used to being handled. She's a girl who was produced. Not even the White House has that many bathrooms. No, seriously, you can you can look it up. And while you're at it, yeah, look, you know. So so, uh, and I'm very tentative. That's why I ask all these crazy questions. I'm really tentative about how to, you know, to put myself out there, not in a bubble, and survive. And that's what Art Bell did. And uh, he he attracted a stalker. Yeah, but he but, didn't really survive. I mean, if you look true. at the way the way it is, and he needs a PR person. And don't tell me he doesn't have the money to hire a PR person. And the other thing I want to add to that, I don't know who what the age bracket is here, but I I think Angel and I are close in age. But as as coming from as a Generation Xer, I just turned forty. Okay, as coming from that generation, I don't need a PR person. If I can't censor myself on social media, I'm failing at my generation. Uh-huh. I understand. I understand Very true. Very true. that whole Right, thing except for one thing, Soroya. As your popularity increases, there are more and more demands on your time for publicity. And true. the issue is, where do you allocate that time? Do you allocate that time in creating new products, or do you allocate yes. that time in maintaining a brand of your existing product? Yes. Because maintaining a brand of your existing product basically at the end of the day wears very thin and wears out. So you've always got to have new product. So the problem is that if you're your own publicity person, it, it is a very difficult job to um, kind of straddle both worlds. Yeah, by that point, when I'm making that kind of money, I'm hiring somebody and I'm writing. My job is to write and produce product. I'm not okay. saying I'll never do publicity or I'm not saying I would never do interviews because I enjoy doing that. But what I'm saying is if it becomes a time constraint for me personally and I had that kind of expendable cash, like let, let's just fantasize for a minute. I have an empire like Rowling does, like J.K. Rowling. Yeah, absolutely. I'm finding somebody to do that for me because I think at that point you have to. You know. Well, at, at that point, at, at that point, at a certain point, the arc, I mean, Cory Doctio notwithstanding, the uh, the the arc is not so much to be a self-publisher, but the arc is that even if you're self-publishing, at some point another entity will pick you up in a me- in 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 a different uh, medium. So from online distribution of digital content, you may be picked up for um, standard brick-and-mortar distribution of print content, of hard print content. So at, at that point, the, the, the infrastructure of a publishing company kind of moves in and handles a lot of the stuff that um, needs to be handled. So, for example, um, I have a book well, coming every, out. Every foreign sale. 
well, every foreign sale, all, all of your, all of your um, serializations. So, for example, I have a book coming out January 20th. And um, right now, I have a publicity person at Torforge, that's the publisher for this book, UFO Hunters Book 2. And I have a publicity person there, and we're already lining up um, in some cases, lining up some of the, I'm doing it myself, some of the radio hosts that were really great for the Mickey Rooney book. And in some cases, um, she's using her resources to do that. So that's, so you rely sometimes on, on that structure. At, at, at Gallery Books, we relied on uh, the assistant director of publicity, Megan Harris who basically did all the work for, I mean, Rick did a lot of work. Rick Lurchman did a lot of work on publicity because Rick has all those great contacts. And we meet a lot of great contacts with Dr. Feelgood. But um, a lot of this really routes through a publisher. So that is the kind of infrastructure in, in the world of traditional bound book publishing, which yeah, is but, very but, different but from this world. But there's two things. Like, Soraya, you were saying you would hold your own um, and fight to the end. And, I, and same thing with you, Angel. I've seen the two of you. You don't back down and you don't suffer fools. However, yep. there comes a point at which you get such a barrage of garbage. Say someone is uh, trolling an attack against you because they want somebody from another network wants your network to go down. And it's just right, right. you have no choice but to walk away from, say, Belgab or walk away from social media entirely just like art did you have no choice but to do that because you can't win it you can't fight one on one no you just no you just ignore the idiots and block them and move on right and what you can't engage them ever i mean that was the best piece of advice rally james ever gave me when i started doing this and i got haters and she said i swear to god you start engaging them you're done and she's and and that you gotta be thick you gotta not care i mean it's that Mm -hmm. simple yeah, except exactly. I've had really I've had just the opposite experience. I have uh gone against that and gone with my instincts and um made lifetime, I think, uh fans from people who cared enough to say, My God, what is wrong with that woman? or some such thing. And sometimes you know not to touch it. But that's one thing. But the but didn't Raleigh also say that you've got to learn you've got to be able to monologue. Was it Raleigh who says that? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. By that's the way, guys, remember. we have another caller in our line. Seven one nine is live on Feature Theater. Patiently waiting, good, by the way. Good evening everybody. This is Kevin and I hey, wanna play Kevin. off what Bill was talking about. Back on December thirteenth, fourteenth, somewhere in there, you did a show here in Denver, Bill, with Peter Boyles. Oh yeah, Peter Boyle. I'm going to be back on that show. I think in sometime in January. Yeah, that was a that good show. That was one of the best interviews I've ever heard because Peter let you and Joe talk and tell the story. The only time he would interject himself was when he needed to, and very few broadcasters have that art like Peter did, like Art does, to be able to know when to ask a question and when to let the guest talk. And by the time you got done with that interview, I felt like I had knew what I needed to know about the Mickey Rooney book and Dr. Feelgood together and how they tied together 
that was what made it so great. It was like, it's amazing how history repeats itself. Because you've got the story of Mickey Rooney and his dysfunction. Then you've got the story of Dr. Feelgood and the dysfunction that went on there. And you say to yourself, where does it end? You know, well, it doesn't end. I mean, you know, you've answered your own question. I mean, it doesn't end. I mean, it, uh, in the case of Mickey Rooney, you've got a kid, and this is like a lot of, of very young talent today. We're at a certain point, just points to what we were talking about with Soroya, at a certain point, the, the, the infrastructure of the institution the, uh, that you're contracted to, and this, in Mickey's case, it was MGM, the institution moves in, and for a codependent person, uh, for a dependent personality, for an, for an abusive personality, and, or an abuser personality like Mickey Rooney, the studio is the enabler. The studio was the codependent because they need that abuser to produce. And so um, there was a, mo- and, and, and so that's the model. So Mickey never has to confront a demon because you've got people like fixers like Eddie Mannix and Howie Strickland and Milty Lewis, all these people from the studio that basically confront those demons on Mickey's behalf. In the case of Max Jacobson, Doctor Feelgood, he was the he was the person that was creating the substance abusers. And so at a certain point, um, as the drugs kick in, um, people in power have their enablers, have, have a bunch of codependent hangers-on, like President Kennedy did, that do all the work of shielding him from confronting his own demons. So, yeah, there is a similarity there. You're right. And I think Soroya's right. The difference between her generation and my generation is that they, Gen X or Gen Y, whatever you want to call yourself, you know, just like you said, Soraya, you would be felling your generation if you didn't handle it yourself. Someone like Art never could have envisioned a day like today mm-hmm. where the radio landscape had changed so much. And, you know, it just speaks to... He needed to have trusted advisors besides Keith, besides Heather, people that he could go to in the industry who were I don't younger. Think, Kevin, I don't think there is anybody, Kevin. I think it's something that everybody... Well, how do we, yeah, but how do we know yeah. he, he didn't have that also? I mean, yeah. we don't know all the insides of you know, who he would speak well, to on a daily basis. Well, it appears like he didn't know Angel by the way things worked out. That's what, that's what from looking inward as a listener... You're saying, why didn't somebody just tell him to do, you know, X, Y, and Z? Maybe they did and he just didn't listen. You know, that's... That's very possible. Possibility. Well, let's go back to uh, who he hired for his producer. Look, I I like Heather. She's great. But no experience, and you're hiring a fan. I mean, this is is a really bad idea. It's a terrible idea. Well, but wait, and here's why I think I, I disagree entirely, and you will see eventually... You'll see it in, you'll see it happening right again before your eyes. It is better to hire somebody that has a natural instinct who is really talented, loyal, and intelligent than it is to hire 
somebody who has experience who's a professional because you oh, can. Oh, Nancy, I know, I know somebody who wants to get a word in there on what you just said. Okay. Uh, Jesse Randolph, uh, anything to say about what she just said right there? Well, uh, I think there's pros and cons, but in this, <laughs> but, uh, but in this particular um, paragraph, this scenario, I would opt for somebody with as much experience as possible. Definitely. Yeah, but but experience in what? Experience in podcasting or experiencing experience in terrestrial radio? Um, across the board, yeah. I think that he here's here's the thing. Heather has experience in the UFO field and in arts portion of the UFO field. She knows arts tastes, um, and she knows the UFO field really really well. And also, she's young and she knows more than just the UFO field, but she knows arts. Um, study areas and as a producer all you, and of course she's got a very winning way so she, and and is fearless so she picks up the phone and calls anybody so she can she was she was the best producer he could have dreamed of i think because and she's loyal the biggest thing of all when you're a big star and he is a big star is loyalty and you know that's one less thing you have to worry about wasn't there a lot of loyal people that worked for the dark matter network for years that could have been also perfect fill-ins um uh mr burns uh mr mr jackal Angel, well you're talking uh, about the you're talking about the talking position the the stepping in to the art bell uh talking position not the producing for art bell and i was just talking about the producing um, I think the talking part, the, the being a new host, that is purely temporary, and that's kind of how I think Heather was told it was. So yeah, it's sort of, you know, Nancy, I can if I could jump in for a second. I think it goes back to what Bill was talking about. When you're with a big network, which Art has been, you're under an umbrella of PR people and business management type roles and advertisement and right. et cetera, et cetera. And when you branch off on your own and you start holding different titles and making your own decisions when you've never really done that very much in maybe the past 10, 15, 20 years, um, it's, it's so difficult. And getting back to, you know, when you wanted to talk about the future, I, I think most of the anger that comes up from this is that it's, pretty damn obvious that both dark matter and art did a, a horrendous job of handling the situation and thus pissed off most of their audience. And uh, the fact that they're still trying to get people to subscribe uh, and dangling a carrot that maybe art will come back one day has thrusted me as far from the region as possible. Mm, Enough so said. Not yeah. yeah, me that's, too. That's, and in compensation though, Jesse, they, they lowered the uh, price to four ninety nine. Yeah, four ninety nine, oh, huh? I, 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 yeah. <laughs> so wait, I'm supposed to so worth much. it. Yeah, so wait, I'm so supposed to it. pay for somebody to learn how to do radio. No, pretty much. Not yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's pretty just. Much. But but and if as... I can, if I can, real quick, uh, and and then I'll be quiet. I promise. Uh, where where does Future Theater go to try to make a uh, an in in for themselves and and kind of thrust into some of the ideas you were talking about, you know, trying to make money down the road and, and, and things of that nature. And I think the answer is if you don't have a large marketing operations budget, et cetera, et cetera, the best route would be to utilize Bill in his future endeavors. Uh, for instance, I was watching a UFO Hunters the other day uh, on my television, a rerun, 
and there's Bill, you know, kicking ass. And I said to myself, man, you know, at the time, if you had future theater going and you were able to somehow get a plug in there, you know, it's just, it's not that people don't like the show. It's not people that, it's, they just don't know about the show. It's not that they're not interested in the topic. They just don't know it exists. Well, see, here's a model. Here's a model that um, really excited me when I discovered it. And that was this radio show that's on now. It's a podcast, and it's called Serial. And they were so effective in what they did. They covered uh, their, uh, their first series was on this murder case in Maryland. I know it uh, well, Bill, but you're missing the big part of why they became successful is that they were an offshoot of a very, very uh, popular podcast. It they were cool. an offshoot of that podcast, and they were sponsored by, I think, the Washington Post, or well, they yeah. were sponsored and, by and, and, and NPR. Yeah, so there was a, there was a professional infrastructure there. I'll give One you a, of for thing- instance, if you want to get an app on the front page of Apple, uh, on the App Store, I can, I can do it for you. I can make it happen next week. I put one call into uh, Germany, and I have a company that can handle it no problem. It's going to cost you about $175,000. Wow. Well, okay. well, that's good to know. Wow. Um, yeah. And how long will you be on the front page? Depends on how many downloads you get. It's a surge, so they do marketing surges. Wow. And within that surge, it's based on region, et cetera. It's very complicated, but the bottom line is you can buy it. You can buy it to at least know – that people got to look at it. Maybe they hated it and then it tanked. That's not their fault. That's your fault. But if people knew about a show like Serial, they said, this is killer. Next thing you know, you get people talking about it, it goes viral, et cetera. That's et cetera. right. That's right. And it depends on the topic too. I mean, now Serial is doing the Bo Bergdahl story, which people are fascinated by because what the hell is up with this guy? Um, and now he, for the first time, is telling his own story. I don't know why his lawyers are letting him do this, but he's telling his own yes. story because he's telling his own story on this, whether you believe him or not. It's a great and story. It, I'm listening to it right now as well. Yeah, and it's very engaging. I mean, it 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 is very engaging, and it, and 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 you want to hear more of it. I mean, I would. Things that really fascinate me. Speaking of which, speaking of which, even though I'm thinking of the other fellow, the fellow who, uh, the first whistleblower who's now a girl. uh, Oh, Bradley Bradley Manning. Manning. Well, just Chelsea Manning. Chelsea Chelsea Manning. Manning. Well, just speaking of that, have you all read this Christmas that Bruce Jenner is very sad and wants to go back, and has had second. He doesn't like being a woman. Two reasons. God no. So Roy is going to love this. Two reasons. He doesn't want to be a lesbian. He doesn't like lesbians, but he doesn't, you know, he, he loves women, and which makes him a lesbian. <laughs> so what was the point, Bruce? So, yeah, there's there was no, no point there. Here's the thing about that. No, here's the thing about that. If, for example, and I'm, I'm not denying that maybe he does think he's a woman mentally because some people are born that way, and maybe he is mentally a woman. But here's the thing. If you're mentally a woman, right, and you like women and you want to have sex with women, that makes you a lesbian mentally. You just hit the jackpot. You know how many lesbians would kill to be born with a penis? It would kill to be born in his shoes. Hundreds of thousands of them, I'm sure. Just regular women would love to have a penis, too. I don't know about that. No, no. No, I mean, I wouldn't want... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Only people listen to them (laughs) at board meetings. Oh, man. I 
just do like them. So, you know, I'm that went completely a different direction than I was trying to go. But uh, anyway, point being that he really missed the boat because he, he he won the lottery, man. You're born a woman, you're born a lesbian with a man's body. But he's go married. have at it, buddy. Go have at it. Yeah, you know if he doesn't want to stay with his woman, get another woman. He's he's Bruce Jenner. He can get whoever he wants. Wait, wait, Olympic yeah, hero. So does that make him? Does that make the wife bisexual? I'm sort of confused. <laughs> no, she she left him when when he became a woman, so she does. She's not into chicks. Yeah, I guess. And so. what does that say about his high jump? Whoa! <laughs> what do you, Whoa. What do you mean? Uh, I don't even know where he's going with that. It just sounds dirty. I don't know. Well, oh, yeah, okay. I don't... sounds filthy. Well, he won't be doing that in a miniskirt. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope not. Angel, I've got a question for you. I suggested on a show a couple weeks ago, I would subscribe, and I live on disability. I don't have that much money, but I would subscribe to a subscription that covered all the shows on the network. Formerly, I would have done that on DM, but since DM decided to bill on you guys as far as live shows, I would subscribe $10 a month to get four or five shows on your network, if not every show on your network. is I know you're against that, but going forward, is that something you would entertain? I would entertain it. I don't know about 10 bucks. That's a little steep. I don't know how many people would be willing to pay that much, but five, six, eight bucks, you know, something like that. But it, it would have to be more than just audio shows. I feel like I'd be cheating the audience just giving them what they get for free, which is the radio shows. So I would love to have something like that, but I would do something more like what Tim uh, had with uh, with uh, Jesse over here uh, with UFO, uh, UFO TV, right, Jesse? That's the uh, name of his uh, company. Oh, can you repeat the question, please? <laughs> and you're, wait, wait, wait! You're speaking about Tim Crawford, right? Tim Crawford, right? Was it UFO TV or was it the other one? Um, no, Tim, well, Tim Crawford's UFO TV. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that was his video. That was right, his right. video distribution but, service. But if yeah, but if you if you look if you look at his website, he has a bunch of other stuff like stickers, posters, audio, you know, books, ebooks. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff in there. Which I would do something like that and really give the audience something worth their money. You know, I wouldn't just give them. MP3s of something they heard for free already. To me, that's kind of cheating the audience a little bit. Right, I agree. That's exactly why I want to do product just mm-hmm. the way uh, you know, um, tie a, it all an together. Ebook, yeah. a, mm-hmm. a, a magazine, an ebook, or something like that. In other words, real product, real solid yep. product. I feel the same exact way. Um, yeah. People who've started in this medium, I feel like the fact that it's free and mm-hmm. so forth. Because Look, we're I, not going to get I, yeah. No, no, you got to put yourself also, not to cut you off, but you got to put yourself in in the position of the listeners. I mean, we were, I was a listener for a long time. And, uh, you know, one thing that I would hate is for now every show that I like, you know, makes me now pay to hear the shows or makes makes me pay to like download them after I've heard it for free or downloaded it for free for so long. So, I mean, I would definitely want to bombard it with other stuff, not just the MP3s and make sure they're really getting their bucks worth. And I think putting e-magazines, that's a brilliant idea. You and Bill have a great history with UFO magazines, so you know how to build a magazine. You know, you right. know how well, to do that. So. And, and, and we're thinking about bringing, putting the team back together because we had a great team of people who made a great product every, yep. well, it was every month for a long time. But we also had an ebook company before anybody knew what ebooks were. And I have all those ebooks, which I can make available again to, um, people who want to subscribe. So, so you'd basically get value for value, I think. 
And you're so, kind of showing, yeah. Could it, so basically, uh, for if the so so learning from the mistakes of uh, what was not done with DMDM, um, if people if if PSN were to take the content that they have um, and any new shows that are going to be joining, plus adding new content such as video content and the ebooks that you're talking about, Nancy, and any other type of material like that, then that would be something that you guys would be comfortable in putting into a subscription model. Was that correct, Angel? If I'm reading you right? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. It's a, it's not only that, it's a lot of other content. I mean, I, I have specials just for, you know, the members, uh, maybe some pay-per-view stuff just for members, you know, stuff like that that really makes it worth their while to invest in, in the network. Yeah, and swag, stuff like yeah. that, swag. Of course. Yeah. Send, them, send them little packages every every month or two, you know, little well, things in their email, you know, something that gets them really excited. Right, right. And, you know, we we'll, we should all put our heads together. I'm definitely going to do something. Uh, I don't know what yet. I've, I've been kind of putting – it's like a puzzle. You're kind of putting pieces here, putting pieces there. The thing that um, – I, I very much enjoyed my little foray into starting a, a show – and I loved being on the air every single day. That was the thing I got out of it that was shocking to me. It was actually easier than coming on once a week because you didn't have to gear. You weren't so scared. By the time I have six days to worry um, when I'm only on once a, once a week. This way, you know. Mm-hmm. And I also love the fact of I like this time frame, um, you know, 10 till midnight. It seems like a good, you know, you don't, you're not. I was doing uh, three o'clock in the morning or something. Anyway, I, I like radio. <laughs> I like radio. And well, it was five in the morning, you were doing five to. Wait. I think it was something horrible. Yeah, and it was, it was five you know, in the morning, Nancy. Was it yeah, five? The Bill Gab. Yeah. Oh, it started yeah. at five. It started after. Was starting. the same time Richard started, didn't it? Yeah, no, it's came three on. to five. Three to five. Three to five. Three to five. Three to five. Yeah, yeah. and Richard and, and ha, 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 Richard is still standing. So, <laughs> you know, all you naysayers, Richard's the guy still standing. I mean, Art's well, down. Is he, is he doing his live count. shows? Because I haven't heard in a week. Has he been doing live shows? Or? Uh, good question. Yes, I would say. Yes, sort of. But it's always been, uh, okay, there was a fellow named Saucy Rossi. That was his name on Belgab. and. Right. He kind of flew in uh, out of the heavens, they say. Art asked him, they say, to um, produce for um, Hoagie, and he did. And suddenly Hoagie's show was doing really well. And then I think Russ, according to legend, Russ asked for money, and Hoagie said, see the door, my son. There's the door. <laughs> and Don't let the door hit you with the good Lord split you. And then, and then, my goodness, then 4chan, this thing called 4chan, which is 10 times, 20 times as big as Belgab, descended upon Belgab because um, I think they either liked Saucy or they hated him. I can't remember. They, they hate like, him. They do? Okay. okay. Wow. Yeah, they hate all Saucy of us, is like. Uh, us included. <laughs> and. Uh, I have a question for you, Nancy, when you get done with your story. I, I think they're 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 unbiased on me. I don't think they care one way or the other. But oh. uh, we have a we have an unknown caller on the line. Unknown caller, I... you're live on Future Theater. It's me. I am the unknown caller, and I've I've got a bag over my head and everything. Whoa. Oh, very oh nice. there you go. There you go. Hi, unknown, Alfred. How are you? Unknown caller. Yeah. How you doing? Yeah. Don't let on. Don't yeah, let on. Alfred. <laughs> 
Alfred, um, a happy new year. Merry Christmas. Happy um, new year. Do you have anything you want to say about um, uh, future and past guests and stuff? Yes. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. They're in the future, you know, this being future theater and all. I think in the future we can look forward to uh, some point, more information yeah. on unadmitted air wars with, uh, with E.T. I think uh, we're going to be hearing about uh, the, well, what can be called the hijack of the abductee uh, phenomenon and the abuse of uh, some of its research subjects. I think we'll be talking more about jailed UFO activist John Ford, who is still rotting in prison, coming up on uh, a couple of decades now for yeah, absolutely yeah. no reason whatsoever. And then there's the uh, always ever, ever, uh, ever popular seven categories of good solid evidence that UFOs abound in the in the skies above us. So there you are. Well, Jack Brewer, uh, Jack Brewer is going to be on the show on January 11th. So we'll be talking about, um, and, and Alfred, you should weigh in. Uh, we'll be talking, and I hope Emma does, we'll be talking about Jack's book and talking about, it's funny, um, um, Jack has been talking about navigating the various shoals of partisanship in the world of UFOs so as to promote without offending um, various parties. And so one of the questions that I want to ask him, and I will ask him on, on January 11th when he's on the show, uh, two Mondays from now, is how he's doing that. How does he navigate those shoals that are very sharp and move even as you move. Well, I, t I think looking and acting and and talking like, uh, uh, oh, and I'm drawing a blank on his name now, Mr. Rogers. Good Lord, that would have been so embarrassing. Who, Fred but, Rogers? Uh, he, looks, he looks, acts, and sounds just Will like Will he be Mr. my neighbor? That Mr. Rogers? Yeah, yeah. Yes, that, and, yeah. And, I, and I mean Hi, that. Please, please understand Hi, that neighbor. I mean that in the absolute most efficacious way because that man was a prince Weirdly. on all okay. levels. And in all aspects, okay? But he's got a very easy manner about him. He's very cool. He's very logical. He doesn't get rattled. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't get angry. Uh, I absolutely love the guy, if you want to know the truth. Uh, I, I'd like to add that uh, his book, and I read his book, is not in any shape, way, manner, or form a debunkery on UFOs. It is the, the exploration that Bill was talking about of a ufological study in contention with itself and therefore not getting anywhere at all, and isn't that sad? Well, you know, uh, that kind of response is that kind of response is that one of, okay, my, my basic argument and Alfred, you put your finger on it. My basic argument about the whole subject of UFOs is that there's no such subject. I mean, it sounds like a paradox, but you talk about ufology. Well, how could you have a ufology when, A, there's no, uf there's no degree in ufology? You can't go to college and take a course in ufology that's taken seriously. What is a ufologist? Is a ufologist 
Fox Mulder, is a ufologist, a Stanton Friedman, who's a physicist, or, um, I, I mean, there is really no such thing. It is one of these mm-hmm. areas where anybody can pop up and yep. self-declare, I'm a ufologist, mm-hmm. and begin to pontificate on various kinds of subjects. Then the various self-declared ufologists get into a war. Is there such a thing as alien abduction? No, there's no such thing as alien abduction. He said, she said. Then the experiencers, the abductees or the contactees, well, as one person wrote on a post on a, a bulletin board 20 years ago when Dafter Roswell was coming out, that what he does and what he thinks his, his private UFO community should do is when somebody pops up and says, I've been abducted, the, the quote which was horrifying to me, and you're talking about Linda Cortili, and the quote which was horrifying to me was, we have to rip her guts out. If I were abducted by a UFO, the last thing I'd want is for some idiot on some online bulletin board somewhere to rip my guts out. I have enough problems with the aliens ripping my guts out. I need somebody else doing that. So, I mean, that's the issue with UFOs. It, they're, they're, officially, there's no such thing. So, hence, there's no such study. And well, that's why the- I was uh, uh, ragging on Bassett because he says he's a UFO, lo- um, you know, uh, lobbyist. That's like being lobbyist, yeah. no a lobbyist. is like being a unicorn lobbyist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Bigfoot. Well, lobbyist. well, I think I think more than anything else, he's talking more about exopolitics and uh, how to you know really engage in that on a mainstream level. You and, mean expose uh, the black budget? That too. Mm-hmm. That's part of it too. Yeah, that's going uh, to happen. <laughs> well, yeah. Good luck with that. I mean, well, there's and, there's a lot and, of folks that have exposed black badge projects. Though, wait, hold on. Many there's of us of... have seen UFOs, but wouldn't even admit to having seen a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, if I ever saw that's a unicorn, true. I'd that's I'd true. say that. Um, I'd say that out I mean, loud. Pilots, pilot, I mean, especially Southwest Airlines. <laughs> that was our sponsor for UFO hunters. So we get on the plane early because we get all this camera equipment that we're carrying on, and a pilot would come out. He'd know we were on, or she'd know we're on. Come out of the a cockpit. Basically, in some cases, they would invite me into the cockpit. This is when they were boarding, when passengers were boarding, and um, he'd say, "Look, I got to tell you the story." And I would be sitting in that third seat, the engineer seat, and he would, he would, he would say. Um, let me tell you the story. And I would get a quick five-minute story of the fact that this pilot encountered a UFO flying out of a Karen airport um, on, his way to, uh, on his way to Portland or something. And it was an incredible story. So the inevitable question you ask is, well, did you report it? Did you pick it up on radar and did you report it? And he said, no, it would be a visual sighting. And no, I did not report it. Uh, the only thing that I once did, and it's true, he said, um, I called uh, the um, air traffic control and I asked the controller, do you see anything um, at my 10 o'clock? And the air traffic controller said, why are you reporting a, um, an object there? <clears throat> and the pilot said, absolutely not. Just, just asking. And, you know, good day, good day. And that was the end of that radio transmission. Of course, they're not going to report major scenes in the 2000, 2001, in Close Encounters of the, uh, of the Third Kind. Remember when they're sitting there in front of the scope and, well, do you want to report it? And this mm-hmm. pregnant pause, nah, we don't want to report it. 
Absolutely. Well, Alfred, that's exactly it's, uh, it's, it's break time, guys, by the way. Break time? Okay, we, yeah. we'll it take is. a quick break. It is. It's a bottom of the hour. So we have a lot of people online. We're going to stay with everybody, and we'll continue the conversation on Future Theater on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. Stay with us, folks, for these messages, and we will be back after this. Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. List and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. 4,734 UFO sightings in 2007. by aliens or unknown species reported by American and British citizens and hundreds more unreported in 2007. Suppressed information about collisions with passenger aircraft and UFOs that has been kept from the public knowledge for years and only one trusted source of information from some of the top UFO researchers in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted, connected, accurate. The UFOstore.com Expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to theufostore.com or call on the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there, and theufostore.com has it. in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com.
Hi, we are back on Future Theater on PSN Radio on the Dark Matter Digital Network. And we have a lot of people online. And Paul Smith, remote viewer Paul Smith, um, Army Major retired Paul H. Smith, has joined us. And, 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 and Paul joined us at a very pregnant moment in the conversation. Um, let me bring everybody back up to date. I feel like I'm the announcer on UFO Hunters. But it's this, that where we left off in the previous segment, Alfred Lemberg, who was still with us, is suggesting, was asking about the state of UFOs in, in that conversation. We were talking about the fact that there is officially no such thing as a UFO, and officially the government does not really recognize it, even though a bunch of presidents have acknowledged it, by the way, like Harry Truman. Not a and has been admitted by government, remember, back admitted in the Admitted by government, but, uh, right. Okay, given all of that, and even George H.W. Bush has alluded to it as a fact, but given all of that, and the fact that there's no such thing as ufology, Paul Smith actually did have an experience as an Army remote viewer being um, working with Ed Dames on an event in which... I'm going to say this, that the UFO, the flying saucer, was ours. Right, Paul? Um, I think you might have your stories mixed up there. I don't recall doing something like that. It's I have the Cassini, had experiences. It's, it's the Cassini probe, right? No, you're thinking of, the, you're thinking of the, the battleship. No, no, no. I'm thinking of, remember, Paul, when you said that you had remote viewed um, a craft that was, um, and, and it turned out to be our Cassini probe? Are you talking about, uh, let me think. And so the Cassini probe went into, where did that go? Yeah, that's a long time ago. I it do was. remember having a remote viewing session that I think it was for a Dames and SciTech that did involve a one of our spacecraft. And, wow, that was a long time ago. Um, was that the one that disappeared? That just went poof, gone, or no? That was the one. Uh, uh, that was the one. See, see what struck me about it, which was so fascinating to me, was uh, uh, you had said this was in an article in UFO magazine. You had said that um, you saw a saucer-shaped, around craft entering a distant moon, but you had remote viewed oh. that. Okay, Actually, so that wasn't that wasn't Ed Dames. I was doing that with Ingo Swan. And it okay, Ingo. Okay, good. Ingo, that's even better. It was, it was in fact. When I say it was, right? I'm always very cautious about this stuff. And, mm -hmm. You know, you, you can't. Um, you know, Mark Twain once said that uh, he would never read a health book because he's afraid he'd die of a misprint. <laughs> <laughs> good one. So, so with remote viewing, you have to remember remote viewing isn't 100% all the time. It, there is a certain ratio, and I would judge it between 20, uh, 20 and 30% of the time when you're just wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why generally you usually have, when you can, you have more than one remote viewer on a project, and you remote view it more than once, right? So, uh, so that's the cautionary tale. The, but the other side of it is, Oftentimes, the remote viewer, you can tell you're on. You may not know if all the data you're getting is accurate, but you know that, that a good chunk of it is. So I was asked by Ingo Swan to remote view the moon. Now, I didn't know it was the moon. Uh, you have to be blind as a remote viewer. Right? He just gave me some coordinates. Mm -hmm. And so I, in the course of remote viewing that, I got perceptions that were really quite weird. Um, 
uh, one of them I recall getting, I'd have to go back and review all this stuff. It's been a while since I revisited it. But one of them I recall getting was, um, seemed to be a half-sentient flying object. So it was both machine and and living being of some sort, right? And, and don't ask me to explain that in more detail because I really don't know. I mean, I have sketches of what I what I did and all that, but um, that, that was the impression I had, and it was in this in the space, which later I realized was the, probably I think Inglewood had me targeted on the far side of the moon, and uh, a cavernous, uh, huge cavernous space that opened up to the surface of this thing. And the surface reminded me of. I'd almost say Saudi Arabia because you know I spent some time there during Desert Storm and that's about as close to the moon as as you get as some mm. of that desert in Saudi Arabia. So anyway, I did have these very strange impressions, um, and because because it wasn't Ed Baines, I actually trusted it better. Uh, with Ingo, Ingo was of course more careful in how he worked you on a project, and uh, so you know I don't know what exactly to make of that, but but I certainly it certainly made me think that there's something more going on than I used to think. I tend to be very cautious about UFO claims because I've seen so many of them be, be really wrong. <laughs> you know? Right. But, but, but then yeah. talking about Ingo Swan, I, I think one of the fascinating stories that you told was, I mean, Ingo Swan in, in, in his own book tells mm-hmm. this incredible story of seeing aliens in um, extraterrestrials in a supermarket in Los Angeles. I think I even know the supermarket. And um, he sees them. Then he tells his CIA handler, and he's taken to Alaska where a flying saucer or a spacecraft, let's say. No, wait a minute. He didn't actually specify Alaska, but it could have been. I thought he said it was Alaska where they went, and this craft was firing at them. Yes, uh, it was firing at something. I mean, they had to keep dodging because these. I guess the best you could describe it as an energy beam or something. Kept, right. You know, it kept shooting things around and and it would tear up the earth and stuff. It's been a while since I read that too, but but I don't think Ingo specified or was he just described it as if it were the Northwest Territories or Alaska, someplace like that. Uh, it doesn't really matter for for that unless we really wanted to hunt it down. But the fact was, he told this story, and it seemed very incredible if you're just reading it on the surface, it's a very incredible story. It's like something you might read in some science fiction magazine. But the fact that it was Ingo that told it, um, I, in my long years of association with him, I never knew him to tell a falsehood or make up a story. Um, so wow. even though it seemed like a fantastical story to me, the fact that Ingo was telling it and, and, and specifying in quite good detail about it, that, that made me take, pay attention to it. So, Well, what also struck me was that um, even though you trusted Ingo uh, implicitly um, in terms of his honesty, you actually went to Harold Putoff and asked him what he thought about it. I did, yes. Because uh-huh. I, I, I thought it was... You know, Ingo, of course, told me it was absolutely true when I asked Ingo. So I asked Hal, and Hal essentially said the same thing. He hadn't heard about it at the time Ingo experienced it. Ingo kept it pretty quiet. But Hal also said um, exactly what I told you. His experience with Ingo was Ingo never made anything up either. Uh, that that Hal was and Hal knew him even more intimately than I did. I mean, he knew him for years and spent a lot of time with him. So. Hal said, you know, it sounds like a fantastic story, but you know what? The only thing I can say is if Ingo's telling it, 
you know, I can't say it's not true. You know, he says that it's, there's got to be something to it. So. Well, Ingo had called me. This was um, probably 1998-ish, um, after the publication of The Day After Roswell. So Ingo had called me. And Ingo, um, one of the things he said was, he said, I just wanted to talk to you because I wanted to tell you that Corso was right. And I said, okay. He said, but, and then he told me the story of his own remote viewing experience on the moon, of going to the moon. And of all the stories he told, and this was also in his book, but of all the stories he told, that to me was the most fantastic story of um, here he is, and he's remote viewing the, uh, the moon or uh, the lunar surface. And what he sees are, is a kind of, and I, if my memory serves me correctly, um, what he sees is kind of a factory situation, an assembly facility situation, where there are entities assembling, working on something in some kind of a communal um, activity. And what struck me was what, what he said, what struck him was that somehow one of these entities looked at him as if that entity could see him. And so if there is a, a medium or a channel where remote viewing takes place, he was now sharing that with another cognizant entity that was recognizing him in that space. And that's what freaked him out. Hmm. Yeah, that would be very, uh, very surprising and somewhat distressing. And there, there are a few rare stories about that happening where a, uh, one of our remote viewers is, feels like they are being actually observed or noticed by someone or something at the site in which they've been sent. Well, Paul, I, I wonder if you could confirm or, or tell me that it's not a true story, but have you ever heard in, in, in this respect being observed, have you ever heard the story that remote viewing is so successful, has been so successful that on certain Russian submarines, they actually put Mylar Mickey Mouse balloons around so that when remote viewers come in, they get confused. And yeah, have you ever? That's a remote viewing urban legend. Um, it is so great. I'm glad they well, have them now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how that got started was that uh, people were saying, you know, in the program, we would say, well, how the heck do you stop somebody remote viewing you? Because there's no known way of shielding it. And certainly right. we weren't being stopped, right? So how do you do it? Well, the suggestion was, well, maybe if you disguise the place, essentially kind of camouflaged stuff, but essentially just made it so bizarre looking when the viewer got there, they think they were off and so they wouldn't, they wouldn't report anything, mm. right? So the idea, the, the joke was, well, you know, you know, is essentially uh, Mickey Mouse balloons and, I don't know, Donald Duck Max masks or something like that all over like the, the missile control room of the Soviet, uh, Soviet facility of some kind, you know. And I'm not saying that's a, uh, an, implausible thing to do. I mean, if you do end up getting that good of detail that you're picking up on stuff like that, you might think that you're off when you get that kind of thing, right. you know, the, the bizarre kind of thing. So it's an interesting thing to chew on, but as, to my knowledge, no one's ever actually implemented anything like that. And but what's so funny about that is that actually in, in real wartime, 
I mean, that kind of um, the, that kind of ruse de guerre, so to speak, right, um, right. is used. Let's say um, British warships uh, would mm-hmm. fly the French flag, and or, or they'd, they'd do entire fake airfields made out of balloons, and and that's what we did, and that's what we did supposedly in England. Um, yeah. After the Normandy invasion, we actually created a fake division on the ground with Patton. So the Germans would think that the attack on Normandy was a feint and the real attack was coming across at Calais and Mm. it never came. And then Patton took command of the third army under Bradley and and basically after, after we'd broken through the enemy lines at Normandy. Um, yes, while, we have, <laughs> while we have Paul on, I want to take this opportunity to ask you this. Since, Paul, you have a, a, a an absolute real uh, future remote viewing that's on record, and we always tell people about it, and I have the UFO magazine article and that I can send out to anybody who wants it, um, when you remote viewed the future, um, is it possible for you to remote view just our future uh, for the next year, do you, can you see yourself, I'm going to ask you a trick question, that way I'll trick the answer out of you. <laughs> do you see yourself being interviewed by Art Bell again? Ever? Joyce, so, um, I'm sure there's an alternate universe when that where that happens. Okay, well don't you <laughs> no, think, okay, Paul, but no, yeah. Paul, don't you think that that's what the future is, this amazing um, array of alternate universes and the ones that fiction writers can conf- you know create and the, the what we all think our future is going to be is what our future is going to be and we pick from those alternates that way we move our train to that track what do you think that's a possibility well yeah it's a possibility i'm not sure i think of the future that way at all um the whole problem with multiple universes and multiverses is there's no way to know if they ever exi- if they really exist or not mm-hmm. it's one of those uh, non-falsifiable hypotheses that science comes up with sometimes kind of like string theory you know you can't it's really right. hard to falsify it so so right. you don't know if it's real or not and so i mean it's possible there are these multiverses but we can't prove it there's no way of proving it uh, at least as far as i can tell <laughs> You know. Well, if you had so, a control Z for life, if you all on computers know what a control Z is, command Z, if you're on a PC, it's an undo command. If you could undo what you just did and then you could clearly see that the universe is switched back, then you would know mm-hmm. that, in fact. But, in fact, it would be a third universe, of course, they say. Yeah, yeah so but that was a course- question, yeah. Yeah, you'd you'd of course have to be able to compare those universes. But for example, there's some talk that if you were to change something in the past, then everything from that point on would change, and mm-hmm. you'd never know that you changed it, right? Or you so, would enter into a different alternate universe, mm-hmm. which you would not know you'd entered. Right. Which exactly. would be kind of, well, and then necessarily remember the Back to the Future hypothesis here, where yeah. they went back to 1955, switched things around. Marty went back to the future to mm-hmm. 1985. But he still remembered his original timeline. It's not like he yeah. forgot it. Well, that's like because he wasn't the he, it wasn't the 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 then him that was uh, that was traveling through time. See, he would have removed himself. We're really getting into some deep stuff here. <laughs> I know. He but he by the way, my barometer for from the timeline at that point. Yeah, my, my barometer point, for everything the, time travel is Back to the Future. By the way, that's <laughs> my barometer for for time travel. Okay. 
Well, right, but, so, but Paul, but Paul, what is your view of the future? Since we muddled it up with our, with ours, we, we suggested ours. But what is yours? Well, um, my view of it is a fairly naive version, um, but it, it seems to make sense to me, and it seems to be how things actually occur when you're when you're trying to predict it using remote viewing and modes like that. And the, that is, of course, the simplistic thing is that the future hasn't happened yet, right? Mm. And and since it hasn't happened yet, uh, decisions and decision points that are made here can be can affect how possible the possible future unfolds. But until it does, there's nothing there there, right? And um, yeah, I don't know. You know, that's about all I can say about it. The way it behaves in a remote viewing environment seems to suggest that the future is a very fluid. Mm-hmm. thing. So, I mean, you would be fluid if it doesn't even exist, right? It's malleable, in, infinitely malleable at that point. There are obviously some things that will occur because they're they're essentially locked in through a deterministic uh, causal chain. Um, those things will happen, but they haven't happened yet. Well, uh, see, that's part of that. Yeah, but see, that's part of the irony. with five minutes left in the show? That's just... <laughs> see, that's part of the irony. No, because that was part of the irony that, that, that anybody who knows your story wants to know about your remote viewing that event that took place, what was it, 48, 72 hours ahead of um, when it actually occurred. Um, I mean, you remote viewed it in the past, but it actually happened in the future, which sounds like the attack on the USS Stark. Um, And that was one of the weirdest weirdest stories I ever heard. Be careful about your wording. I did not remote view it in the past. No, no, I mean, you remote viewed it in your present, but it hadn't happened yet. That's correct, yeah. No, that's that's better said, yeah. And so, So, and so, but I mean, the moral, but but the moral question that you raised about it was even more interesting than what had happened. Had you had the opportunity to contact the USS Stark and say to the captain of that vessel, my God, turn your Aegis phalanx defense system on, mm-hmm. the future would have changed and it wouldn't have been what you remote viewed in the present. That's right, yeah. Well, have you that, that is, in itself is mind-blowing. In fact, I have a whole, whole chapter in my dissertation for the University of Texas that discusses those kind of issues. <laughs> Because that's and, because and, that's the whole yeah because you just raised the very Charles you know now it is still the Christmas season you raised the whole Charles Dickens uh, Charles Dickens argument about the ghost of Christmas future mm-hmm. yeah well yeah and, and that was and the very nice question said that because I had forgotten about that and that is definitely relevant of mm-hmm. course it is because basically it is the one question that Dickens poses and it hangs in the air in a Christmas Carol which is. Are these the shades of things which may happen, mm-hmm, right. or is this unalterable and cannot be changed? And, yeah, and actually, could... all of the world's religion hinges on that, doesn't it? Yeah, well, not all of them. The, um, the, um, Cal- the Calvinists uh, don't think you can Oh, that's true, anything. the Calvinists, right. Yeah. How grim can that be? But I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, other than that... 
those were actually salvation. But don't you, know. you guys don't you guys always think the future is like the show that some of us older folk have seen? It was either a Twilight Zone or something where these guys dressed in blue were kind of building the future ahead of you know ahead of us. And the char- you remember the blue guys who were building the future? Just yeah, that's a Robert the Heinlein story. Yeah. Well, that's kind of – when you say that certain things are deterministic and they're just definitely in the future, um, might it be, might it be, Paul, because everybody is expecting it? I always worry that the sun's not going to come up personally. I think this. When I'm waiting, I'm, I'm waiting. I happen to be up. Uh, you know, I don't want to be the first one to notice the sun's not coming up. What a terrible, terrible burden that would be. But, <laughs> you know, but – I'm counting the days that – but everybody before. expects it's going to come up, which is what makes it come up. I wonder. I wonder. Well, you're talking, um, of course, these are all these philosophical conundrums that nobody's ever been able to respond to. I mean, in a sense, you're talking about a form of idealism where where uh, things only exist that are perceived. You know, uh, Barclay, in what, the 1600s was famous for for uh, formulating the, the principle to be is to be perceived. And if it isn't perceived, it doesn't exist. And the only reason the world doesn't go out of, out of existence whenever somebody goes to sleep is because um, God is the ultimate perceiver and, and sees the whole universe, right? So, I mean, that matches the facts of the world. That, that particular hypothesis matches the facts of the world, and the one that you just stated is similar to that in that it also matches the facts of the world, but lots of other different kinds of ideas and, and theories match as well. So I, I just count on it coming up, and if it doesn't, then I'll, then I'll be surprised. Then you'll deal. <laughs> then, you'll, then you'll deal. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a call and say you were right. Yeah, wow. <laughs> And we will find and and we will find the spirit of Rod Serling, which is floating out somewhere. According to Thomas Edison, the the uh, uh, the life units that have quantum entanglement with each other, that made up the sentient creature that was Rod Serling, are still out there. And if I had well, and that's basically who we're who we are uh, recording to, who we are broadcasting to right now. Um, I I wonder if. We are, in fact, creating our own future. That was kind of how I wanted to start the thing. Um, yeah. I'm wondering how much I should be talking on the radio and why. And it, it is existential. Should it, you know, is it yeah. a good thing or a bad thing? And I'm sure. Yeah, and my you, answer to that is, is um, be, you know, believe what what feels right to you. Um, you're either right or wrong, and uh, we are not going to know. You know, so true. I think you ought to continue to do it because you're good at it. Aww, thank oh, you, thank Al. you, Alfred. Yeah, that's right. Not you, Bill. <laughs> I know that. I, I get that. He's talking about me. I, right? I, so, so, Bill, yeah. I'm wondering about those poor eight folks that are hanging on the phone lines. Are, are they just hanging on in vain? or? No, nobody's hanging on in vain. They're actually hanging on um, to hear yeah. the golden words dripping from your lips. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> see, because we were well, having this discussion. Really... No, see, Alfred raised the point about UFOs. And I raised the counterpoint saying, you know, these things aren't around. And then you called and I said to myself, how ironic. The one person who actually remote viewed something that could be categorized as a spacecraft type UFO on a distant world, in this case the moon, um, is now on the phone. So I thought that was a very um, ironic moment. 
It is, and of course that wasn't the only UFO I ever remote viewed. You know, if any of them were UFOs, but but that's that's a story for a different uh, time. We have with two minutes left, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Bill, so, not to no, the, down, the, not the great thing about. Down, but- Hold on, the great but, thing about but, uh, but, uh, the great people. thing about hold on, hold on, real quick. The great thing is now we don't have to rush out of here like before because right. I don't have Keith except, telling me. Gotta, except, gotta, gotta, gotta yeah, go. except, except, except for um, Nancy, who's got to go do the music for Heather. Yeah, but is that really important anymore? Well, I I gave my word for Heather. It is. No, it's not. Well, hey, listen, <laughs> I want to be on <laughs> the show sometime. Why are they even paying for music just for Heather? I mean, so she can play Dancing Queen. Yeah. Well, because they're discussion. keeping the seat. I actually happen to hard. like Dancing Queen myself. Oh, I know. We, we've had this discussion. Not to, I'm not an ABBA <laughs> fan, but... No, but Dancing Queen is actually a very good like, But here's, here's the thing, though. Since art's, not, since art's not doing the show now, mm-hmm. couldn't they just like save all that money instead of continuing to spend and waste that money for absolutely no reason? But that's I have no I idea. I it's so stupid. That, you know, just like with Santa Claus, I thought Art was going to come on and do the show as a surprise on Christmas Eve or Christmas night and nope. fool the stalker because nope. the stalker would be home with his family unstalking. <sighs> and, uh, <laughs> the stalking. <Un-stalking. laughs> he could hang his stockings from the fireplace. The, sto- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the stockings were people hung to, to walk away. Care. <laughs> I don't want people to walk away from the program, listening to the program, thinking that Bill uh, uh, Burns does not think that UFOs exist. I think I Bill do. Burns what thinks I don't UFOs think exi- exist. No, no, Alfred, let me make this point. I think UFOs exist. I don't think ufology does. Uh-huh. Well, how can that be, uh-huh. Bill, when that's I... No, that, that makes perfect sense. No, that actually makes perfect sense. <laughs> that is a perfect, uh, that is a perfect, perfect ending sense. to a perfect evening. Yep. Everybody, Alfred, Paul, everybody, Charles, Kevin, everybody... Soroya, you're not going to say I will include I will include the girls as well. Everybody, Ladies Angel, <laughs> everybody, have a wonderful, have- wonderful New Year's. We will see you next week. I have no idea who our guest is, but we will see you we next week. We have Martin week. Horst next Martin week. Martin Horst, yes. the Flying Dutchman. We will see you all oh, next week. Oh, by the way, before, you, before we cut out, I will be celebrating my 38th birthday on the 30th, December, uh-huh. right, coming up. Happy birthday, Angel. That's not why I said it, but we're going to spend the night on Skywatchers Radio with Robert Happy Morningstar Roger. and Open Lines, so everybody wants to call in. And Please the Nancy so. Burns experience, I hope. And the Nancy Burns experience and the, and the Chris Brown. And call in with your stories of Star Wars. Correct. Everybody <laughs> from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown village, in beautiful downtown Solbury Village, Pennsylvania, we are your co-host Bill, that's me and Nancy. Good night, everybody. Happy New Good Year. Night. See you next week. <laughs>